Welcome to the Deskbound Therapy Podcast. I'm your host, David London, and I really hope you enjoy this episode. And if you do, send me a direct message on Instagram at Deskbound Therapy because I would love to hear your feedback. And please give me a five star rating on Apple Podcasts. Enjoy the episode. What up, guys? Welcome back to episode 16 of the Deskbound Therapy Podcast. Today, I have a pretty cool guest on. He is an occupational therapist and he focuses on, you know, managing your stress at the workplace, having a clear mind, living a more healthy life. A very, he teaches a very holistic approach to health and fitness. And um, I'm really excited to introduce our guest here, Karen Fox. So go ahead and tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you do. Hey, David. Thanks very much for having me on today. Absolute gentleman. Uh, so yeah, I'll tell you a bit about myself. Um, as you've kindly said already, I'm currently working as an occupational therapist indeed. Um, I'm working a, I'm actually working as a, an OT part-time. So it's uh, three days a week, uh, three, four days a week, depending. I'm working in between brain injuries and uh, stroke rehab. So huge emphasis on uh, neuro rehab, how the brain works uh, from the point of view of when you've, you know, you've had a catastrophe such as a brain injury and then looking to get you to rehab you back to daily life from that point of view. Um, but where I've gone from that is, you know, you know, I'm working part-time, but I was like, well, I can take concepts of what I'm doing and apply this to the everyday person. And how, like, how can I do this? Well, everyone gets stressed. Like, we all have to manage forms of stress, as you well know yourself, dude. Absolutely. And I thought I'd mix concepts of OT, concepts of my interest in neuroscience and how I apply neuropsychology to my rehab, and then applied a whole different perspective of mindfulness and meditation to that as well. So, it, I mean, it kind of tied everything together quite nicely and made quite nice for taking clients on, coaching people as well. And I think as well that, you know, the unique kind of perspective that an OT would have is, you know, I understand what you do. I understand how to adapt what you do. It makes sense that, you know, you work with people in that stress-based environment. And like, why can everyone else not achieve that form of thinking where they optimize the performance under a stress-based scenario? Yeah, it's pretty cool stuff because, you know, in fitness, we tend to look at, you know, just the vanity, just like getting stronger and looking good. But we never really consider, at least on the mainstream perspective, like what's going on in someone's head, actually asking themselves and getting a lot of them why they don't do workouts, why they feel stressed or tired after work or why they don't feel like they're able to push themselves. We don't really look at the other kind of spectrum where, which is kind of where you I found your stuff quite interesting to me. Yeah, massively, man. I think it's so like it's so funny because like what is the fitness fitness industry really is? It's glorified aesthetics on social media, and like a lot of people, you know, we don't our attention nowadays is just insanely, insanely poor. So all you want to do is go and see who's got the rock and bod, who's lifting the big weights, who looks like they're living this magical influencer based life, and unfortunately, that's not the reality for ninety nine percent of the people out there. So it was more so taking the approach of like, well, what does the everyday person think and need? You know, it's great for that one person who's got the great body, but unfortunately, we're not all gifted with unbelievable genetics and time every day of the week to work out maybe two or three times. Yeah, because like a lot of these people you see, they still have like mental battles, like in terms of achieving their goals. You don't see like, you only see the pretty stuff and the outcome. You don't see like the day-to-day processes, the discipline, the meal prep, like the, the, the everyone goes through some sort of stress and it's really like, Something I really started to advocate a lot more as well, especially as now I'm like, I'm studying physiotherapy is like, uh-huh. like looking at the person as a whole and treating the injury as a whole and teaching people to disassociate themselves with the injury. Cause you're like, if your shoulder's injured, doesn't mean you're injured. You're just shoulder. So I'm trying to like, there's so much to it of like helping people detach from like getting rid of this attachment to help them feel yeah. more free. Yeah, well, I mean, it's multifactorial, man. Like, you know, you think you, you, you have the, the superficial cause that you see. Say, for example, if you have an injury or you have a stress-based situation that you're not getting the performance you'd like out of that limb or arm or movement or connection with someone or situation in that work environment, like that, that's, the, that's, the end, that's, that's the end result of multiple different streams that has resulted in that outcome. And it, it really takes the, you know, the assessment-based mind to unpick that objectively, you know, take out the feelings, like what's actually going on, what's the information, and diagnose that down to a root cause. I mean, that's how you get over that stuff, not the stuff you see on social media. 
Yeah, like a lot of the exercises are good too, but if it gets to the point where you know you you expect pain, that's something you definitely want to look into your mindset because anytime you expect pain, you talk about this a lot with your neuroscience that you're just going to strengthen the neural pathway. So, like if you expect totally. like back pain when you sit down, you're probably going to have a higher chance and frequency of that back pain. Like, so we can just like you know disassociate that that action with the trigger, and a lot of your pain can go away. Yeah, massively, like hugely. It's, it's, I think it's insane how, you know, the whole idea of placebo and nocebo. And I think clients, patients especially, you know, they very much see what they want to see. Like, oh, I've got back pain. Let's go on to Dr. Google or like um, NHS Choices or any other healthcare based website, get generalized information that's non-specific to my own situation and then diagnose myself further, you know, making that negative mindset and you know all you're doing is bringing your attention to that area you, you you're amplifying those issues that you have so what's really going on in the brain in that situation like how can you explain like how it works like how you're amplifying those issues so i mean take it from you have said situation you have said injury you put your attention into said injury said situation this causes you to have that stress-based mind what actually is stress in the mind besides it being a form of overthinking you know it's a form of anxiety we don't know the answer we're searching for a set answer to give us set outcome or action that we can get over this and small amounts of stress are good like don't get me wrong small amounts of stress are awesome they improve our concentration our attention is a lot better and as a result of that our quick reactions are a lot better it makes sense that if you're stressed playing the likes of sports you do stress-based movements um or if it's for a short duration, it makes sense your, your output is going to be quite good. But on the other hand, if this is prolonged, if this is something you're experiencing every day, if this is something that's affecting you throughout your daily life, it's going to have negative implications from that biological perspective. So, I mean, you're obviously going to have increased cortisol levels. And with the increased stress hormone, you're going to reduce your testosterone levels, going to increase blood glucose, you're going to increase your chance of gaining weight. But not only that, Putting yourself in a stress-based situation for a long period of time, whether it's something to do with your body, something to do with people, work, family, or those are loved ones, what you end up doing is reducing the blood flow to the, the thinking areas of the brain. So as our brain works, we've got four main lobes. The frontal lobe, the front of our brain, has an area right in the middle called the dorsolateral prefrontal cortex. Now, this area is very much connected to the objective executive functioning thinking. And how it works is, when we're stressed, unfortunately, a lot of the blood flow goes right to the amygdala. So it goes right to the fight or flight response. Now, in a, in a, a short-term game, this is good because the amygdala will stay the same size, blood flow will keep going and will react. But if this is prolonged, what it does is it increases the blood flow to the amygdala, making your amygdala actually bigger. So that fight or flight response becomes our, our daily routine habit. And the hippocampus, which helps us encode memory, which helps us make and instill those good decisions, those objective decisions, becomes a lot smaller. Blood flow goes less to that. So what does that mean? Well, it means that if you're always in a fight or flight response, you're always going to be preempted to make a slightly more rash decision. You're not going to consider all the information objectively. You're going to act, as I say in one of my eBooks that's coming out quite soon actually, is the whole idea of a stress zombie model. You become that, like, what does a zombie do? You know, a zombie reacts. They don't think. They just do as they see. And it normally ends up in a bad outcome for that person or that thing. And that's where you want to steer away from. Yeah, totally. And uh, I find I've been working a lot with myself too to become more, you know, proactive. And because a lot of times we just blame our environment when really just you get into the cycle. I think you're referring a little bit to like the chronic fatigue syndrome where you feel like a zombie. Sure. And like, yeah, it's, so, it's really yeah. hard to, to break that cycle of being reactive, especially when you wake up in the morning, you don't have a routine, you just check your phone, you see some bad news, oh, someone died. And that's in your brain. Your brain doesn't really know the difference. So like, you're still probably going to get some amygdala activity. And then you're going to have that. I don't really know exactly how it works, but they say the first hour of your day defines your whole day. So the past like month, I've been really trying to, you know, become more proactive and grounded in the morning. And that awesome. way it can, it can reflect, you know, all layers of our life. My work is going to be better. I'm going to be more grounded to help my clients better, coaching people better. So I find, you know, a lot of people in like desk workers, they find you like, oh, my job's boring. Let me, you know, just 
scroll the phone, have some fun before I go to work. Oh, let me scroll during my break. And they're really yeah. never in the right mindset to actually get anything productive done. Massively. And I mean, it all starts with, like, as you were saying, like, give yourself something in the morning. Like, and it's very true. I do, I understand when people say, they're not morning people, but I think that, I mean, I mean that, that's a cop-out, that's an excuse. Not being a morning person means you're not prioritizing mornings and you're either choosing to stay up late as a, a, as a means for this is how I want to live my life. And really longevity-wise, if you look at how you, well you want to perform at said thing, how well you want to do in life full stop, it makes sense that the mornings is the place to win the rest of the day. Like it all starts in your first hour really and what you do in that morning to get you going for the rest of the day. Am I right? Yeah, because there's those days where you wake up tired and you're like, oh, it's taking forever to make coffee. Oh, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing today. And I find something that I've been using for quite a while to kind of get over that uncertainty in the morning. It's just uh -huh. um, journaling before I go to bed. That way I can just brain dump and I'm like, I feel like I, sometimes I don't even look at it, but I feel a sense of relief because I've kind of put it all out there. I'm like, I know what I need to do. So when I'm ready to, to do it, I just go and open it up. Whereas you don't wake up when you have a lot, because then I'm not overthinking in my head. I have this clarity that I know what I need to do and then I can just take action. Massively, and it turns you from being this subjective, stress-based thinker who relies on life experience to make decisions, and you turn into this objective-based thinker who realizes that this is a situation, this is an experience, but this is not who I am, and I can be different, and I can choose to change based on different behaviors. I might have been previous behaviors that have given me that result or outcome, but that doesn't have to be me tomorrow or the day after, and I can change just like that, and absolutely, David. Journaling is the bit, like one of the best things to do, like future self-journaling. As um, a fantastic lady, the holistic um, psychologist on Instagram, she's very, like, very good for advocating that. The idea of writing down what exactly is going on in your head. You know, get it out. And if, like, the outlet of writing it down on a page is a nice way to reflect with yourself. Initially, I do appreciate, though, that that can be quite difficult for a lot of people. And I would definitely recommend, if you don't, I like the idea of writing, journaling, talking to yourself, then find someone who's objective, like someone's opinion who you appreciate that is out with that situation. You know, if it's someone that is like in your normal daily life and that uh, can give some of their own subjective experience back at you, I mean, that's not going to give you the answers you want or give you a bit more clarity. It makes sense to find someone you trust that you can kind of relay this information that can give you a bit more of a, a, a wider perspective to help you hone down what exactly is going on. Yeah, it's quite interesting because I find like typing to-do lists and doing all that stuff and scheduling on the computer doesn't really work for me because it, it puts you in this kind of state where there's so many distractions. Oh, I got like 30 tabs on the top of my MacBook on the status bar. And then I have all these notifications coming in. I find like, at least for me, like maybe if I printed it off, but typing it doesn't really like feel the same, like mentally as when I journal what my to-do yeah, yeah and it's and there's like there's more intimacy to it you know there's more connection you know a laptop's very external to you and as, although typing's fantastic there's something very different to put be, to putting pencil or pen to page yeah it's pretty big and I say like for the people struggling to do it just just try like there's some weeks where I did it one or two nights but eventually you know I start to place it closer to my bed and then I have like a trigger, a positive trigger in my environment. Hey, I see that right before I go to bed. Let's, let's write something down, even if it's just one thing. And eventually you'll start, you know, opening up and writing more. But I find, especially with journaling, the hardest part is writing that first little bit. And then it just flows. Massively. But it's the, like it transcends to everything. Like, you know, you remember when you're in school and the worst thing or in college and you remember the worst thing is thinking about it. It's always thinking about it that kills you. But you actually sit down first five minutes, you actually get into a rhythm of your train of thought. And you realize, like, why was I overthinking this? Why was I making this 10 times more difficult than it was actually made out to be? Yeah, we always look at our schedule and like, oh, I got so many assignments, so many deadlines and so much stuff. But when you're I've, you can't literally think straight when you're conceptualizing everything at once. And I think that's something that happens for a lot of like deskbound professionals is they, they work, they have like obviously like important jobs and they're taking care of a lot of people. Like it's, can, I, I feel like can, you can be easily overwhelmed. Massively, massively. And it, but it makes sense. Like, and I, what I find my perspective for teaching people is that like, if, if you can understand how your brain works, then you're in total control. And if you appreciate the fact that from an information processing point of view, 
you have five senses, okay? So you have so many means of input from information and, and how, how we react and everything. It's very bottom up. So, you know, our body will take in everything. There's no choice. We have no choice. Like this is what happens. But there's a top down system as well. And this is very much based on my life experience, our previous behaviors, and then our perception of those senses, of that information coming in. So it makes sense if you have a lot of information coming in if you can't understand what's going on properly, you're going to lead to some form of stress-based thinking. If you have lived a life where you've, which is, is based around negative outcomes or stress scenarios, that's going to affect your thinking. And if you've got behaviors that don't implement a form of strategy to be objective with this information or at least manage it in a certain way, then it only makes sense by, like, neurobiologically that you would end up in a bad, like, a bad outcome, not only for your body, but that would manifest in your actions. Yeah, it's interesting. And I feel like a lot of people don't consider all those five aspects you were talking about. Massively. And it's, it, what's very funny is if you take for the example, so vision will take up at least a third of the actual capacity of information processing in our brain. So vision is our biggest sense. But if you're always looking at your phone, if you're always looking at someone else, if you're always not concentrating on what you probably should be concentrating from a from a, a view of changing your mind frame then it, it makes sense that the information coming in is not going to be the information that you want going out is that why a lot of people have you know that like cloudy feeling you know like sometimes you're working so much you kind of feel like a brain fog and you just nothing's making sense to you Absolutely. And what comes with that is like being stagnant. And I'm sure that you're absolutely going to preach the idea of moving about when you're sitting around for a long period of time. But again, looking at how the, like the, 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 the cognition of how our brain works, like the thinking processes, if we're doing something for too long and we're not stimulated meaningfully, our tension is going to go down, which means initially our, our ability to, to perceive this information or what we're doing is going to, like our performance output is going to go way down as well. So it makes sense, again, that you're not going to get those outcomes you want to get. Like, you need to change the input. What does that mean? Get the hell up. Shake about. Go outside. Get some fresh air. Do some meditation. Talk to someone that you really enjoy being with. Change the form of input in any form of sensual way. Again, the likes of writing. It's physical. It's intimate with yourself. Do something to change the bottom-up input so that you can change something from the top down. I really like how you explain that, that because a lot of times I just kind of explain it as you just kind of like want to just kind of switch the tasks because sometimes you're just burning out at once. So just like moving around, getting some oxygen to your brain can really help you think a lot clearer. But it sounds like you also advocate like switching like maybe different work tasks every cycle instead of like going just deep into one specific thing. Massively. And I, I mean, I can appreciate concentration is a funny thing and for you to like there's a reason why people do very good at the, at certain jobs is because they enjoy their jobs very much and naturally if you enjoy something attention is going to be better performance output is going to be a lot better but longevity wise if you want to sustain that performance it makes sense that this has to be broken up so although you can like i lo like i love what i do but you like you need breaks like i need like a, a, a real i love rehab but i love also working with people that aren't in a rehab facility i love like the everyday person and, and putting information from the likes of a hospital or rehab-based area into the everyday person because it all very much interlinks. But that's different forms of input. That's different forms of doing to keep my performance up, to keep my interests up. And it's very much the same for everyone else. Yeah, it's pretty interesting, especially like not just talking about specific tasks, but working in specific areas can really, because I find when I was working at just a sports clinic, I would see the same things every single day. But then when I switched to, you know, more general population clinic every other day, it was a lot more like I felt fresher and I felt like I was delivering a better service because I wasn't so like in the same environment all the time. Yeah, exactly. And but like, there's nothing you can do about that. Like that, like you were victims of our environment as well. Like, and it does take a higher level of thinking and like higher level of thinking isn't complicated. It's basically identifying that what you're doing in that area isn't the way you could optimally perform so change the area change the change the environment change the people you, know, you see the same people every day like I, I hear people when I'm at work and they're saying they're living for the weekend you're living for that Friday Saturday which is fair enough like that's 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 fine as well but like are you happy and if you're not happy then do something about it and if it's not the case that you're not in a, a state 
because of commitments to either like financially, um, family-wise, and you don't have the choice to maybe go independent or slightly more entrepreneurial with your with your enjoyments, then prioritize things you enjoy to do so that when you come in to that like routine, like daily work that you know you really do, you give it hundred percent. Like why shouldn't you give a hundred percent? I don't understand why you shouldn't give a hundred percent. Yeah, interesting. So you're saying you should? Why shouldn't you give a hundred percent if it's something that you enjoy and you can concentrate on? Yeah, like and in the sense of be that objective thinker, like realize that, like be, like, and when I say objective, I mean take your feelings out of the situation and 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 drop like ego is such a fascinating thing that's only been so accentuated as a result of the like the technology based world we live in nowadays, and like the the likes of Instagram, like I, I love Instagram but I very much use it for business. It's not social for me because I know it facilitates ego-based thinking. You're looking, you're, li- you're, 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 you're wishing, you're wanting, you're not being very much present with who you were. And it's putting you into a state of anxiety already. Yeah, when I had Craig Ballantyne on the podcast, he said, switch your mindset, look at it as business media. It's a business tool. Unfollow anyone who doesn't give you value advice. Because really... Even if you're just reading one or two words, you're, you're going to pick up that advice, whether it's good or bad, and it's going to stay with you. So try to support yourself if you're going to use it with like people who are positive and bring value to your life and not just like models who make you feel like shit. Massively. And, and if you're going to pick someone to follow, like pick someone, like, and, and again, this is the, the more like deeper thinking. Like don't pick someone because they, they, they have a gazillion followers and that their content, like obviously there must be truth to the content, but pick someone who's got good values, good morals, something that you can vibe off, that you can relate to, something that's a bit more like the everyday person or someone that's striving to kind of do things that you want to do. Uh, just uh, thinking about uh, when you're looking to follow someone, don't follow subjectively what, right. you, see, what, what you see in front of you. Follow like follow your, the, the things that drive you, the morals, the values, the goals. Someone that you see yourself potentially being or an area that you could see yourself actually working in or improving your life in. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the reasons I became like a big fan of your pages. I found you through our friend Daniel and he is really – and. I just found like it was very relatable because it was, you had a different approach because, you know, everyone's, you know, there's a lot of like very vague and general population fitness accounts, but you had like an interesting twist, you know, blending the fitness with the mindset. And I feel like that's where things are going. And that's a lot of things I'm kind of shifting with my coaching is going a bit deeper into the mindset. So you just, as he mentioned, like he doesn't have that many followers, but Kieran has a lot of like fantastic content out there that you don't really see anywhere else so definitely like it's straight value absolutely and i think i mean i'm going to advocate for myself in the sense that i'm very aware of where things are going in the future i'm very aware from a neuroscience point of view and a technology point of view that we live we lived in a world that was very western dominated we lived in a world that was very much money orientated and capital orientated now everyone like there's lots of money people are getting rich very fast we live in this western society american-based society where um, everyone's succeeding but no this is not a commodity anymore like this is not valuable um it it it, it doesn't give people importance anymore it's global and information is global we live in that era where information is so freely accessible to people so now what does that mean what does what what makes people important what makes people valuable well it goes back to that more eastern view of looking at things it comes down to morals values goals relationships the actual core and essence of someone because that is what makes individual thinking that what that's what makes creative individualism there's no more about like everyone has money now let's go back to like what well what actually makes me like what actually makes me and gives me value because that's the way things are going to go in the future so it makes sense we kind of take a bit more control and a bit more awareness of what's going on upstairs rather than what's going on outside yeah very interesting you know people like you can put on like you can have your ego and you can put on a mask and you can live your life day to day and make it you know hard for people to read you but the at the end of the day you're gonna have to live with that inside and it's, it's gonna you know build up if you like you don't look from the, the mind as well. Massively. But why does, that give, like, why does that give me a chance at the moment to do what I'm doing? Like, why am I, why have I decided to devote a lot of my time in my life to teaching people about managing and understanding stress from a mindful meditation doing perspective? Because there's so many people that are affected by stress that negatively affect their life and affect everything else as a result. 
and it makes sense that the way everything is going in the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years, that this is something that needs to be acutely managed now or preventatively, preventatively managed so it doesn't get to a global state of acuity. Yeah, and you talk a lot about like, you know, how your behavior is a mixture of your emotions and your environment and you can kind of change how the way your brain's wired. And it's interesting because like we're so used to being easily triggered with distractions, notifications and stuff like that. And that's kind of contributing to the stress in itself. And sometimes you can't always see that, but it's something I've recently, you know, been trying to become more aware of. And yesterday I spent like two hours cleaning my, my room and my workspace. I'm trying to be more, you know, stoic and minimal with my things so I can think and feel a lot clearer. And it actually is like, was a lot of work to, you know, throw out all that, all that clutter, but it really has like, you're actually, you hold on to everything I feel like. And I'm not just saying this as like a cliche, but I feel like letting go of it, like is empowering, even if they're just papers and books and stuff. Yeah, hugely. I mean, it's a part of it. It's your identity. It's who you were. It's who you, but that's the thing. It's who you were. And, and, and what does that mean? Like that means certainty that, that, that means something that you know, that's concrete and throwing stuff away and making life a bit more minimalistic. It allows for that right-sided creative thinking, it, it, but it allows for uncertainty, which in a sense of the pillars that we live by, you know, we live by certainty for safety from a survival point of view, but we also live by uncertainty because if we do too much of the same thing, we're not stimulated. We're not going to perform how we want to, and we need that like different output, different input, sorry. Different input. Yeah. You, I, you actually had this cool thing. You're talking about different ways to learning. And I was really like, this is one of the first posts of yours that I relate to. Like a lot of people, you know, they'll just read, but you don't talk about, you know, like tactile learning or auditory learning or visual learning. Like you're talking about there's so many different ways and you can use this for studying. And something I've been doing is, you know, listen to like YouTube videos and then like record yourself taking notes and then writing notes. And I find those different inputs kind of paint a more thorough picture of what you're trying to learn or, or accomplish. Hugely. Because again, coming back to my understanding of how the brain works from a functional perspective is that memory is a vast, vast thing. And to improve one's memory, you want to keep yourself in a state of presence or keep yourself in a state of non-stress. Because as I said earlier on, if you're in a case of prolonged stress, it's going to affect that amygdala thinking, fight or flight, reduce the ability of the hippocampus to encode memory. And as a result, your, your ability to regurgitate information is going to be a lot worse. It makes sense that it's going to be a lot worse. And that's, nothing to, that's, not, a, that's not an opinion of mine or anyone else's. That is how the body works. So if we take that perspective and apply that to our behaviors in our life, it makes sense that providing ourselves a different input, because the more interested you are, the more attentive you are, the more concentration you have, it makes sense the more information you're going to take in. And then there's different ways that you can play on that, which I'm definitely a bit of a, a freak when it comes to seeing what I can do to give myself more information or different ways of putting information into my head and then seeing if I can regurgitate it in a different fashion. So like for my, my example of, I always walk when I read, I always read multiple books at a time and I like reading in the gym as well. So if I'm on the treadmill, on the incline treadmill, I'll, I'll always like to read or if I'm on a, on a bike as well. Because I very much found that if you provide a constant to your learning, now a constant is what I mean by if you provide a different activity. So sitting down formally reading, you will only take in so much information, your attention will only last so long, you need to get up and move. However, if you change, if you apply a constant, if you're traveling, you always find if you're on a bus or train, you'll always end up doing a lot more study, you'll always end up doing a lot more reading. You always find as well, if you provide something like walking, something that doesn't provide a lot, it doesn't require a lot of attention, you can carry that activity out as a subroutine and then you can focus all your attention on reading. Funnily enough, for me especially, when I'm on an inclined treadmill and I'm walking, I forget I'm walking. And because I've no distractions, distractions are limited, I'm able to focus solely on what I'm doing. You get through 20, 30 pages easily. Before you know it, you burn 250 calories, you smash 20 pages, you feel amazing both physically and mentally, you're very stimulated. And then, and then you go smash your hamburgers right after. And then you go smash your hamburgers, absolutely, man. Perfect, because you have that feeling of euphoria. And like, yeah, and go, absolutely. And go good, yeah. Recently, I've been, I love to listen to podcasts on the elliptical or treadmill. That's like what I do for like, I find I can't just sit there and listen to them because you just get bored. It's just like watching a TV show or just like reading a book and sitting there. Like a podcast, like it gets the heart going. You don't even think you're on the elliptical. You just kind of go through it. 
Totally. Uh, for me, what, what I've realized is that over the last two years of me always traveling, because I worked full time before the last three, two, three months, and I realized that I was doing nearly two hours travel every day for the different areas that I worked in. And I realized that the only time I was ever reading, the only time I was ever listening to podcasts was when I was traveling. So in the mornings, I would read a book. So well, actually in the mornings, I, I, I like to play around in my morning routine as well. So it would be either getting up between half four and then half five and half six. And I kind of messed about with that. Um, so doing some form of reading before you get on the commute to work. So that would be one book I'd normally go for, one type of podcast or something. Then on the bus or train, I'd put out a different book because that means different input. It means I'm, I'm interested to read. If it was the same book, of course, I'm not going to keep reading it. I'm bored. And then on the way back from work, maybe a different book, different podcast. And then in the gym, maybe a different book, maybe a different podcast. So you've smashed four different streams of maybe topics, information, but you've kept yourself very interested. Your concentration, attention has been up very much so. And my ability to sustain that, which has been over the last like two, two and a half years, it's, been, it's a subroutine. People are like, how do you do that? I'm like, I don't even think about it. I enjoy doing it. And that makes it so, so much easier when you develop a subroutine. It's kind of like, like it's, it's every time you become stronger and stronger to, to kind of pair those, the walking or the reading on the train with that task. And it kind of will relate to other areas of your life. Like eventually waking up and journaling will be a subroutine. Eventually, you know, going to the gym at a set time will be a subroutine. That's really a way you can, I wouldn't say go through the motions, but just like get things done that you need to get done without having to feed all your energy into it. Massive. I feel like something that a lot of people do is they feed all the energy into, you know, oh, I'm so tired after working. I can't get to the gym. I just have no energy. But they're, they're thinking about it too much. And, you know, just take those 30 seconds and just be like, no, I'm going to go. And every time you get to the gym when you're tired, you're redefining what it means for you to go when you're tired. Eventually, your excuses are going to deflate. Massively, hugely. And I think that, like, so you're coming from the solution point of view. But for the majority of people, they are in a state of, not knowing and this like uh, this state of not knowing is you, you can't blame someone for what they don't know and unfortunately those unconscious habits although very good if in a positive sense they can be horribly negative in the sense that you don't know what you're doing so take for example the majority of your day is built up of subroutines and the information processing you know, again, looking at this, how, how certainty works, we, we want regular information that we're used to, that makes us feel safe, that we know will give us building blocks throughout the day. But if there's no change, our attention's going to be reduced, all right? So then we become this stress zombie model that I've talked about before. You become this, 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 this non-thinking, reactive thing or person. Now, what's that going to mean? That means that you're probably going to end up sitting for long periods of time. You're going to get annoyed at situations. You're going to react to people. You're going to go home and bring that back. Like you said, David, you're going to probably look to avoid gym. Sleeping is probably going to be affected. It's multifactorial. But the ability to take that to that outlook that you're talking about, taking that subroutine or that, sub that negative routine into a good negative routine or making that into a, a form of good routine, that there, there comes a very... I would say mature, it is mature, and maturity is objective, and it's very much identifying that I need to change, and identifying is the main thing, because if you're in a state of doing things that don't meet the outcomes you want, and if you're always giving out, if you're not, don't have the body you want, if you don't have the goals achieved, then, and you're looking that you want to achieve this stuff, you need to identify what the problem is, be amazing at diagnosing what the problem is exactly. So how do you recommend someone get started with that? Is that does that involve, you know, starting the starting with your journaling and really getting in tune with how you're feeling? Cuz recently that's kind of what I've been doing like, oh, I'm trying to like pick up like bad habits that I used to have like, oh, I was about to check my phone. Let's not do that cuz I know what happens when I check my phone in the morning. Like today yeah. that happened to me like I saw it, but I was like, no, no, no. I'm trying to change and get out of that pattern. So I'm trying to be a little bit more self-aware to develop like I guess better unconscious habits. Awesome, man. Do you know what's funny for me, actually? I find myself going through Facebook videos. And, you know, you click into one and it's something of interest. And now these guys are amazing. Like, the algorithms that they place in the, in the like, and it's the same for Instagram. You will be shown content, drip-fed, specifically to keep your attention sustained for 20 to 60 seconds. But you could be there for an hour later. And I've literally seen myself, and I'm sure many people are the same. You go through one video and it's, say, it's something hilarious. 
and you go on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and what do you become? You become a zombie flicking scroller on your phone and before you know it, an hour is gone, you're like, I should have went to the gym, it's too late now and you're, you become a victim of your experience and unfortunately, like, you weren't thinking and it's a repetitive cycle unless you identify that this is the issue. And what I say for people a lot of the time is like, don't get caught up in this. Like, don't get caught up in the situation or what it was. Don't blame yourself. Like, leave it be what it is. And this very much comes back to the core concepts I've learned from teaching mindfulness meditation and understanding that as a practitioner myself is that release the sense of ego. Like, it's happened. It's done. Move on. You can literally change right now if you want to. And look at this stressor in such a way that, like, be curious with it. Like, be curious with the idea that if something's going wrong for you. There's there's beautiful learning in that if you drop your ego. Yeah, it's quite interesting because a lot of people, you know, they just live in the past and they, they let that hold on to you. You know, when I'm teaching my yoga class, I'm always like, you know, you can never, it can never really affect you if you never hold on to the, the past, these negative experiences. If you just accept that things come and go and that they just are, they'll never truly affect you unless you let it affect you and you hold on to it. But it really like using the mindfulness and the meditation to give yourself the power to let go is really going to have you change your life. Yeah, hugely. And even the idea of, so if you can, which like, we all struggle with very much so is the idea of ego, a sense of self, because it's innate in us, but having the ability to be, introspective with your own your 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 own your own case or scenario and assess that because if you can be introspective on what you're doing and look at that that's going to give you control that's going to take you away from looking at that person blaming that situation blaming that outcome and it's going to give the accountability right back to you because if you can center yourself from that point of view then you know that that's a vital point where you can change what's happened you can literally take control from that point of view and you find that you're not going to end up blaming others as much as you probably were so what would be some cues someone could use to kind of introspect and know like how to do it or when to do it like are there some questions they can ask themselves or is it simply you know like taking 3d breaths and trying to be more aware yeah so i mean there's there's a few different things you can do and and for the for the so for someone who I would say has not is very new to this concept of thinking and is has a willingness to change, it does very much start with a willingness to change. Um, the information is useless unless you do something with it. Um, I would say get rooted in becoming a bit more present in life. So practicing the different meditations, the basic ones such as like a breath, a two or three minute breath meditation, and a two or three minute body scan meditation, which I teach as well. And having that ability to, first of all, center yourself, you change your body awareness, your body schema is what we would say in rehab, bringing your attention to the different areas of the body because why is my decision-making a certain way? Because the input is a certain way. So if I become aware of this input, if I become aware of my breathing, my feeling my body in different areas, I know I can change my action. And that's something very basic anyone can do. And you can do that in an office. You can do that uh, sitting down, having dinner, having food, like little like anywhere yeah it's cool and sometimes when you notice yourself going back into your bad habits you can right away kind of shift yourself out of it because i know yesterday i was kind of like some someone triggered me and i was like no i'm gonna just like forget about this i'm gonna leave this environment and then continue with the rest of the day and i just felt so much better that i knew if i stayed in that environment i would have like been in this reactive state and that would have carried with me all week and i'm really trying to you know like like no one's for those listening nobody's perfect with this you know like this mindfulness stuff and this like it's it's a consistent practice like where everyone's working on it kieran is still like he's he's an expert but he's nobody's perfect i'm sure he still has his moments where he you know has bad habits and stuff like that we all do like it's just about like being self-aware and forgiving of yourself and just continuing that's it do you know what like the thing is you think there's like an end goal or you think like that you get information and you get very good at practicing it. And then you think you're an like, expert. I definitely do not think I'm an expert, but I, that I definitely am very competent to what I know. And I'm very competent in that practice. And I'm very competent in teaching others that. But we're human. You know, we, we're, we're flawed. We are a flawed, flawed race who are only, we're only here because of mistakes. And we're, we're, we, are the, we, we are the human race that we are as a result of better decision-making and higher level of thinking. But for the majority of us, which I'm such an advocate for, I only learn from making mistakes. Like that is the only way 
I will, I will, I will improve my performance. I will change my situation. And it makes sense from that point of view. Again, going on a bit of a tangent, but it makes sense that a lot of people don't change until there's a state of acuity because the one form of memory that sticks the most is emotional memory. And emotional memory will be, you, you, that's where you get a lot of trauma from and that's where a lot of people have a lot of issues that um, anything that's happened as a result of something in their, in their childhood, in their teenage years, manifests in their, in their non-conscious behavior. And you only notice that when you delve into that from a psychoanalytic point of view, when you actually look at what is the non-verbals, what is the, the subtle statements that that person's saying that manifests as a result of their past experience. And how we get over that really is centering yourself, centering yourself, David. It's actually pretty cool stuff, like seeing yourself like change and grow right in front of your eyes. And not just for like, for fitness sakes, but just to like live a better life and really be in control. And this is like, and I find like I'm the most kind of like Zen right after teaching my yoga class. Cause I feel like, like it might sound like, like voodoo, but it's not like I, I can really feel like the aura and the energy in the room. And we're really cultivating energy together by doing the breath work together. You know, we're releasing all of our stress together and we're creating this positive environment. And you can know there's like yeah. there's different energies. You know, you go to a lot of offices and it feels very gloomy and stressed. But just try to, you know, like I, I just wish the culture was different in the desk environment. Like people could not have to sit there all day because a lot of people, you know, aren't working all day long. Like most people are productive like two to four hours out of the work day. And I wish offices were more flexible so people, you know, could work in a coffee shop, could do a, a phone call or a, a virtual meeting from home and to move around. But a lot of people feel confined and, and forced in their environment. Uh, they do totally. And unfortunately, people become victims of their environment, you know, and it's very, very true. And the, so uh, like energy is a funny thing as well. And energy very much comes up when you when you look at mindfulness, like very, unfortunately, very waffied terms that the everyday person doesn't truly understand and rejects because there's no form of quantification. You know, you can't put numbers to it. You can't put hard facts to it. It's 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 very abstract, these words. OK, so I very much take away. I take attention. I don't I don't say I wouldn't or not sorry I wouldn't say energy I would say I would say attention you know there's a reason why David if you did a class if you're teaching a yoga class and everyone came out it's because you're all on the same level of thinking your concentration is all on the same form of doing and if that form of doing resonates in your head from the idea that I'm looking at myself from a different positive outlook point of view and you're all on the same kind of topic areas, it makes sense that if you're in that environment, you're going to be in a very, very Zen self and very centered in yourself. But also, oppositely, it makes very much sense if you're in an office filled with negative thinkers, stressed, eating crappy processed foods, not moving in this regressive cycle that manifests into horrible daily action. Yeah, you bring up another great point there, that the food you eat and the relationship with the brain can actually have a like an effect on, I wouldn't say your stress, but the way you perform at work. Because a lot of people will go through that cycle of just spiking their insulin all day long and eating junk food out of boredom when they're at work as ways to manage stress. But I feel like you have a, like a, a more effective way of dealing with stress when, you, when we last talked about stressing your stressors as opposed to like masking them with food or drugs or whatever it may be. Yeah, hugely. And, and food is such a funny thing that like, I, I am such an example of it as well. And um, I'm very much the idea that if, I'm, if someone's hungry or if someone's in a bad mood, you can probably correlate that to maybe somewhat percent that they are hungry as and they need some decent food in them and they need some like 10 minutes chill out time where they're having no input, no information going at them. And, and it comes back to the idea of stressing your stressors, but like stressing your stressors, like it's, 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 it's a bit of a, it's a mind frame that I've, I've coined, but stressing your stressors sounds stressful. It sounds like, okay, like I'm going to look at what's annoying me and I'm going to attack it full on. But take it from the sense of how about I show myself some love, like show myself some appreciation and get myself out of this horrible, horrible scenario, stress-based situation. Feed myself some good food, make myself feel better. Listen to some music I love. Like do something you enjoy doing. Like show yourself some self-love because from that point of view, and again, it comes back to the whole, a very mindfulness point of view and a presence point of view of showing gratitude. If you can show gratitude to a few different things, that form of thinking can man that, that, that can 
push you, give you that initial kick that you need to change the rest of the things that probably aren't working out for you at that particular moment in time. Yeah, it's really cool stuff. And there's just so much to this area of mindfulness and so much stuff I want to learn as well. It just, there's a, just try to like, it, feel, it feels good to, you know, level up and like get your, not just your body, but it just feels better when you're working on your mind as well. Cause then you feel so like in line with your mission or you feel like you're having better relationships, you're having better workouts, you're having less stress. And eventually like things just start to like feel and become easier day to day. You just feel so like connected and grounded with the earth. Hugely, massively. And it's so funny that a lot of people think that when you say the likes of like getting in touch with the environment or feeding off the energies of um the like the the, the, the elements and all this is very oh crazy, like oh my god, yeah, you no. must you must do lo- you must do loads of drugs and like oh I don't can only do that if I was drunk or whatever. It's like that is such subjective zombie zombie thinking that is a lack of awareness and it is a lack of perspective based on the actual reality we live in put yourself outside, take your shoes off and put your feet in the grass and tell me that does not feel amazing. Do you know what I mean? Like, get, get away from people, put on music, don't put on music and just listen to the birds. Like something so, so simple, something so small can give you such gratitude for what you have no matter what situation you're in and can actually give you a bit of breath of fresh air to go back and start attacking life. Yeah, absolutely. And I find music is such a powerful tool. Like it's something that I... Like, you know, you have those songs that you just really connect with and they let you, like, express an emotional state that you can't really, like, verbally express yourself. They help you, like, like I, there's something I, I use, I guess, for stress management a lot, but also just because it brings me joy when I, you know. Like, for me, like, I find I like hearing the emotion in a really, like, complex guitar solo because it really, like, especially, like, the blues or, like, a heavy metal solo, you really can relate and connect with that person and you can really feel their emotions transcending through the music. And I find that's something like I do for stress management, but also something I do to bring me joy. So maybe try to blend that when you're at your desk, you know, find some music that actually makes you happy because that's going to lift you up when you're doing work. You're not going to feel as stressed. Yeah. Like for me, honestly, George changed my life. So I've been playing guitar as well for like years, David. And the Red Hot Chili Peppers uh, honestly blew my mind when I was like a 15, 16 year old because all they do is project absolute love and like great vibes, positive, positive tunes. And the likes of John Frusciante, who was the lead guitarist back when they had Stadium Arcadium, like that album was just filled with such um, like uh, serendipity, just like such joyful moments and like amazing solos, great lyrics, just good times. And if you can find any form of music, as you're saying, again, for me, what I really enjoy doing is listening to classical music, mainly because there's no one speaking and uh, like pianists so like the likes of you know your uh, Ludovico and Audi probably pronounced that horribly wrong um, and any other pianists um, the, the, the piano conveys such emotion in the majority of, uh, of the tunes that, they play, that it plays and if you can find some form of music I think that can convey because what does that do like that will really change your mindset and that or that mind, your mind frame in that moment and connect you a bit more with your, your your innate emotions and again come back to gratitude and then come back to fighting like the rest of the day yeah one thing i want to add to that is i find i can listen to lyrics if it's a song i've heard before but it's something new i find it tends to distract me a little more so i try to like have like a like an artist that i've listened to before otherwise i find like i'm getting distracted trying to make sense of the song instead of just trying to use it as a way to change my mindset yeah absolutely it's all i find it very funny when people tell me they don't enjoy music but then that's fair enough everyone has their own outlet everyone has something that works for them yeah and i've talked to some people and they feel like it helps them drown out maybe that's like they they don't want to be more aware like i've had friends who just feel like it's just a waste of time and they're just drowning out different things yeah, um, and, and, and the whole idea of drowning out things comes with the idea of avoidance of behavior and avoidance of you know, real-life scenarios. And then it comes back to that whole form of stress-based zombie thinking of, I'm going to be happy with the situation I'm in because I know that it takes too much effort to change where I am. And then that comes to the whole idea that that person's not ready to change. Yeah, it's really cool stuff. And I feel like especially for being more productive as a desk worker, one of the big takeaways here is you say like take moments through the day to focus on tasks 
you enjoy doing. So that could be music. That could be sometimes I shoot around a basketball every half an hour in between doing like client work or editing videos, et cetera. Just like taking those moments can help you, as you put in your words, you know, forget all the other things and all the other stressful things in the day. Totally, because we live our life with bad habits. You know, we live, our, and it's very hard to break these habits because they become our their our, our subroutine. And like uh, coming back from a neuro point of view, like the the neurons cells in our brain that connect information, the neurons that fire together, you know, work together. You know, and the and the neurons that don't won't. So if you have that bad mindset, if you have that bad outlook, that's what you're going to project. That's what you're going to like increase. And again, the opposite for a bit more of a positive outlook. But coming from the point of view of how our brains work and how this whole stress zombie model works in our everyday life. You're only 50% in control of what's going on if you're a stress-based person. And that's from the point of view of 50% of the information is sensory coming up, again, coming up from this top up, uh, bottom up and top down approach. If you're stressed, you're not thinking, you're not using your, body, your, your top down approach. You're only taking bottom up and information. Whereas if you realize that you're not thinking, you're not using your, your life experience, you're not using your correct behaviors, you're not using your idea of perception, understanding and conceptualizing the information, then you're fighting a very uphill battle. Whereas if you realize that if I'm not thinking, I'm 50% down, if I take control of that, identify that, then you're already 50% up. It gives you a very, very big chance of change. So you're saying if you're, if you're stressed, you're not going to be able to think clearly because you're going to be getting the wrong kind of sensory input. And if you can kind of find that trigger and break that habit, you're already 50%, you know, back to being like unstressed and being able to think clearly. Hugely, hugely. You're in control. It, it, it puts you in control. And, it, and, and the second you identify that, the second you prioritize that, that I can think, I don't have to react, then you are on a, a, a very, very direct road to a positive outcome. It's very cool stuff. I was also a fan of when you were talking about like silence and, and listening. I feel like it's kind of all related, whether it's like science and dialogue or conversation with yourself or a coworker, or if it's just silence between tasks. I found it quite interesting that like it helps you like learn more about yourself and yeah, so silence is a beautiful thing. I've read um, a few books recently on uh, silence and different people's journeys into silence. And it's something that um, I've noticed, especially for myself, um, I find it hard at times to shut myself off, I would say, because of the amount of information I give myself. So I was thinking, well, how can I like manage information coming in? Well, take out information, like take out the form of input. And silence is that beautiful thing. And unfortunately, science has or no, silence has this um, social connotation of being negative from the point of view of no uh, darkness and uh, being alone and lack of connectivity. But there's a true beauty to silence as well. And, uh, and you might say lack of connectivity with others, but you could say true connectivity with yourself. You might say you're not having a conversation with others, but you could say you're having a true conversation with yourself. And silence is something that, although is very difficult to practice in everyday life, it can be very much practice if you prioritize it. Take yourself out of a situation where there's lots of music, there's lots of cars, there's lots of people. Give yourself a chance to have a conversation with yourself. Is, is I appreciate, more effortful than being in that environment where you have lots of information. But this comes to the idea of taking yourself away from the stress zombie self and bringing yourself into a more objective, independent thinker that wants to actually take control of what they're doing. Yeah, I really love it because I used to, you know, be afraid of silence because I, I love talking. I'm very social and extroverted. But then as I started, you know, like allowing there to be space and silence in the conversation allows you to actually think and ground yourself. So a lot of times we're like, my friend's been trying to help me with this. We've been like practicing. We like a lot of times you listen to to talk or versus listening just to listen. And I find like be, being comfortable, you know, like choosing your role will help a lot in your professional life as well. A lot of times, say you're, you're working on a project and you get it confused, you can ask yourself, was I listening or was I just trying to ignore them and give them just my opinion? Massively. And I think as a therapist, I think as like an occupational therapist, I spend my day assessing people, trying to get information from people so that I can give them a different form of input to change their behavior or action. A lot of the time you do become a, li a, a listener for speaking back. And there's, I would say, maturity and 
and, and concrete understanding in being very comfortable with silence. Like silence in social situations is beautiful because understanding that you don't always have to speak is a very valuable asset when you're interacting with someone and you're looking for a particular outcome with that person. It puts everyone at ease. If you always feel you need to put input out there, then it makes sense that you're going to heighten this situation. If you raise your voice or if you bring yourself down or if you're mumbling or whatever, you, like the, the form of information you're giving or what you're, you're, what you're bringing to this scenario, is that truly what you want to do? And suddenly taking a step back and centering yourself, again, using principles that I teach from mindfulness meditation, centering yourself, being very present in that moment and having the clarity that being quiet is a conversation as well. Yeah, something I found quite funny is that this morning before the podcast, when I was prepping for it, I was looking over your Instagram and you had this post about meditation and someone commented, oh, that sounds so beneficial. I just, I just don't know how to do that or how to learn that or how to get started. And you were just like, you can learn it. It's easy. But a lot of people just need that. I don't, I wouldn't say that push, but they, they have like, they just, they feel like they can't do it. They don't, not that they don't know what it is. They just feel like they, something they can't do. True. And the way, and I make, but it makes sense. And I appreciate that if people don't do something the majority of the time, it's because they don't know the answer. They don't know how to do it. Like information is key. Information is power. And if you understand how to do something, then there's a lot more likelihood that you're going to do that. And this is why the idea of working with a coach or working with a mentor or having a friend that does something that you want to do that you don't know the answer to. This is why it's important to seek those people out. And if you're not willing to sit down and read or listen to a podcast and get those opinions from the experts, then you need to consult the people that will give you the information you need. You know, you, you, you need to have the curiosity. And again, it comes very much back to that willingness or wanting for change. But if you don't know that you need to change, that's why it's very important as well to understand if you see these things on social media, then use them, like use them as, as a tool, as something to kick you up the ass if you need. Like let that be the opportunity for you to change there and then. Yeah, it's really that simple, just taking the action. I found I've been recently taking some of Gary Vee's advice at like auditing my circle and seeing which kind of friendships or relationships are toxic to my goals to want to like stay more grounded. Because, you know, we all have that one friend who's very hyper and very like like all over the place. So I've been just, you know, like, just like it, just kind of like introspecting, be like, hmm, which of my friends help me grow? Which of my friends do I still, you know, want don't want to like cut off, but want to like just be more self-aware when I'm around. That way, I can really consciously audit my patterns and really truly like be myself. Yeah, exactly. Like a lot of the time, you see a people, and I hate these global sayings, but there's a reason why you have these sayings that last through decades. And you know, show me your five closest friends, and I'll show you your future, or I'll show you your frame of thinking. And the people you surround yourself with, the information you surround yourself with, it makes sense. Again, coming back to how the brain works, that the input you provide yourself, if that influences your life experience, if that influences your behavior, if that influences your perception, understanding of the reality or the life that you live, then if you're not giving yourself the input you want, you will have the output that you don't want. Again, vice versa, if you have the input you do want, if you're engaging in those meaningful conversations, if you're engaging with people you enjoy, if you're doing things that you enjoy doing, then you will have that output that you want to have. It's really cool, isn't it? Like when I started my fitness journey, I would have never considered this like I, I started yoga about a year into my journey but I never really like considered like the mindset and the, and the focus and the everything beyond the surface of it and really as I get further into it now like maybe eight years into my fitness journey I'm really starting to you know like we start for different reasons and we continue for different reasons I feel like it's now more of like a longevity thing and in my mental state awareness and like living at my best potential self and then fitness is still awesome. like I still want to look good because that that helps me like have inner confidence and find inner peace with myself and feel energetic and helps a healthy way to manage stress. Huge. And like it, it comes, I think down to, yeah, especially in fitness, like you're not going to have a six pack forever or you're not going to have like the massive arms or like the way life works is unfortunately we grow up and then we grow down like muscle atrophy happens, whether you want it to happen or not. And the only thing that will not, will not, you'll not lose hopefully if you manage it nicely through you know good meaningful activity and behavior is your mind and your brain and who you are like, and again it comes down to that like take the example of connectivity and if you're with a girl or if you're with a woman or a man or whoever you know you don't fall in love with what you see you fall in love with who they are that person because the person does not change solely 
but what you see superficially very much will. And that transcends to fitness, that transcends to everything. And it makes a lot more, it makes a lot more sense that you would prioritize what you can't see so that in the future it prioritizes exactly what you do see. Well, on the, on the other hand, one thing you don't lose is strength. You can always get stronger no matter how old you are or how you yes. are. So, so that's something I like to prioritize in my training. Is just, a lot of times we get stressed on how we look, and that just brings more unwanted stress. And I've recently found a lot of joy in just getting stronger week to week. Uh, and that's awesome. And you know what? I say a lot of it not being ego, but we're all innate um, people who have egos. You know, we all want to feel important by either looking good or doing something that makes us feel unique. And for me, like I've... I've worked there for years and I took control of my diet from the point of view of counting macros maybe like two years ago. I'm at the stage now where based on my goals, I'm not counting macros, but I would, I would be a mindful eater and I'd be able to maintain a level of body fat that I would have a physique that I could maintain like, like good shredded abs, um, a good level of, of, of strength um, while not having to worry as much. And because I've built, I've, I've, I've created concrete building blocks that facilitate that ego in a good sense you know that good sense of when i look in the mirror i'm like oh like you know i've, I've worked hard for whatever i'm doing but it's not my main goal but i still feel good about myself it allows you to focus on different pillars and as you as, as you make concrete pillars in certain areas again they come they become subroutines good subroutines and then you can build on that you know once the attention doesn't need to stay in one place it allows you to free up and build and build and build it's pretty deep stuff actually one thing i've been doing for actually like about two or three years with my fitness is after like a really like long workout or just like a workout where i feel fatigued i sometimes i'll go just to stretching one thing i'll do is just lie down in shavasana on the hard floor really just like decompress my spine really just get my nervous system back down to you know like a little bit more like rest and digest state because a lot of times like there's a lot going on through your spine, through your muscles. So we just kind of like leave the gym and some people don't stretch. Some people don't even warm up. But taking that time to just, you know, lie down actually is something that I don't really see many people do outside of yoga class. For those listening to this, I challenge you, you know, after your work, just lie down five minutes and do some deep breathing. And you'll actually, you, you'll avoid that post-gym burnout. You'll feel more energized and you'll feel really grateful after the workout. Yeah, exactly. I become more in tune with your body. I think there's great, there's, there's obviously massive benefits to providing external force or external um, limitators to your body, such as lifting weights. You know, that's going to make you stronger, but you know, do the exact opposite. Like take time to chill out, take time to hone yourself back to you again. Because if you can take those moments, as you're saying, David, to focus on your breath and it all centers on your breath and breathe it down into your diaphragm, in through your mouth, through your diaphragm, and then hold for a second and release, you know, it's going to give you that anchor that you need to change your body schema or your body attention to the areas of the body that might be particularly sore, that you might need to pay a bit more attention to, that, you know, will allow you to change what you're doing after the gym to prevent any form of soreness or and then again if you can prevent that soreness or prevent that issue with the body you know the body is the non-verbal is the is the mind is the subconscious mind you can manage that again it's going to affect the conscious action it's going to affect what you're doing in everyday life in a positive manner well this has been a lot of a lot of great information so far what is do you have any like last advice for like a deskbound professional who wants to manage your stress some like something actionable they can do today to keep themselves accountable with trying to like live in a like a more self-aware state yeah i would say limit distraction you know limit like limit the things that you don't that are that are are, are not your main focus or priority and and create and, and create pillars for yourself i think very much for myself i live in a state of mechanisms i live in a state that isn't uh, the everyday thing that you see and how my brain works is i uh, I very much work on what's the context of the situation, like what's the context of what's going on. And we live, unfortunately, in a, in, in a, in a society that is very subcontext based. Um, I might ask you how you are and you're saying, and you might say, oh, I'm, like, I'm grand, I'm fine, like, I'm, I'm not too bad. But like, that's the subcontext. What is the context? And becoming a bit more aware of the context of life will give you a bit more freedom to look a bit more wider and objective. And then you can look to power on and work in the directions that you want to work in. And I would say, write, in, write this down. Become in tune with yourself. Become in tune with the, the way the, the context of your situations are working so truly and reflect on that. And that will give you an opportunity to move and direct yourself in a way that you would like to see yourself in the future. Well, that's really, really, really some good advice. 
the, the part you said about asking yourself how you are not really saying that much really resonated with me because recently one of my friends who's been helping with my kind of like personal development, he's been asking me, David, how's your heart? And I feel like that's going to help you become even more on the next level self-aware than asking yourself how you are because we're ingrained to say pretty good, all right, eh. But if you ask yourself in the morning, look, you're, look yourself in the mirror, eye to eye, how's your heart? You'll really like have like a sense of awareness that you can't get from asking yourself how you are. So that's a great question. That's a fantastic question to ask yourself. Actually, I very much appreciate that. That yeah, that form of uh, questioning definitely. It's a lot more um, intuitive for uh, an in-depth answer and a contextual answer rather than the superficial subcontext that you'd normally answer. Yeah, and it's not something you'd expect someone to ask you, but it really opens up a lot of doors when you ask yourself that. And it's okay to not know how your heart is. It's okay to think about it, but just be open to the question is a, a big takeaway from this episode today. Yeah, it's awesome. So what is this ebook you have coming out? Let's tell them a little bit about it. it sounds like something we could all be interested in. Yeah, so I've spent the last year and a half writing lots and lots of content and honing my craft and honing my niche. Um, I've looked at how uh, stress works in the brain. I've looked at how it manifests in the body. I've looked at how it manifests in the mind. And I've looked how that projects through an occupational therapy perspective that I would have in the actions that you do. Okay, and I've put that into a stress-based model. I've conceptualized that into beginners, intermediate, and advanced for where you are in your own form of reflection. And then I've made that in a very chunkable, enjoyable, uh, fruitfully colored um, ebook or multiple ebooks, um, and that you can take snippets of information, lots of visuals, and you're getting real hardcore information that you can use there and then, and you can actually see the differences in your life. Like there's not, they're not, not. not tons of text i've made all the neuroscience neurobiology all the really gummy rummy words that you don't really understand into something tangible that you can take away right there right then and see something tomorrow or see something right now awesome so we'll definitely uh keep the keep keep us posted for when that comes out sounds like some good Absolutely. stuff so can you tell the the dbt tribe a little bit where, about where they can find you on social media yeah, so if you find me on Instagram at themindful.ot, and again, I have a Facebook page as well, which a lot of my posts are directed at, and a lot more of my upcoming uh, client work and testimonies and ebook information will be found on, again, themindful.ot on Facebook as well. Um, they're my main two platforms at the moment. Um, as I send out the ebooks they're still being finalized and edited once they're all formally done i'll project them onto a few more social platforms and um i'll uh, uh, expand a wee bit there but um instagram is the main one and secondary have a look on facebook as well at the mindful.ot awesome great stuff we'll definitely share that it'd be cool if you taught workshops in the future you know like meditation workshops or just like did like an instagram tour or whatever that'd be pretty cool Absolutely, man. All to look forward to. Absolutely. And I'm thinking there's a few different online ideas with the online, online meditations because, and um, uh, ones that people can keep recorded and use them for Instagram TV or also as well do group ones at nighttime as well. Like kind of exactly what we're doing. We're talking online, but yeah, uh, do that in a group scenario. I think there's a lot of benefits to that. Yeah. So we could, yeah, we could. That's a pretty good idea. You could probably like arrange something before your book launch. Do it as like a, hey guys, this is what it's all about. Like a little taste of it. Yeah, absolutely. I also look forward to my man. I also look forward to Awesome, man. Thanks for joining us today. So definitely uh, take care and stay in touch. Absolutely. And you take care as well, man. It's been an absolute pleasure.